Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode of Success in Finance. Joining me today are sisters Liv and Charlotte. They've both got really similar backgrounds, so they both studied accounting and finance at the University of Exeter before going down the audit route with BDO and PwC respectively and ultimately setting up their own business together, a swimwear brand called Toco Swim. So they're going to talk us through the ACA and their time in practice, as well as the challenges presented by that, and the beauty of doing an internship or work experience before starting in your career, as well as working for an international business where there's the opportunity to undertake a secondment. Um, There'll then be a focus on running your own business, and Charlotte and Olivia are going to talk us through the benefits of a grounding in finance and how that can help, as well as the challenges that finance can't prepare you for in setting up your own business. Um, So yeah, it's a great episode with lots to be learnt and uh, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe and comment. Thanks. Hi Liv, hi Charlotte. Welcome to uh, Success in Finance. Thanks for joining me this week. Hi, you're very welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing well, as well as everyone else is in the current lockdown. Yeah. That's good. Um, Well, look, do you want to get us started with a quick summary of your careers and then we can uh, go a bit deeper? Yes. Yeah, I'll start, um, Charlotte. So I started off, I went to Exeter Uni, pretty much what I say Olivia could replicate herself. So we've (laughs) done exactly the same thing in our career. But um, I did my training contract with PwC after doing accounting and finance at uni. PwC, I went to PwC Hong Kong, I did a secondment there and then I left for about a year to set up my own business with my husband which was called Healthy Selfie which was a I guess like a photographic fitness tracker where you took photos of your body throughout your fitness journey and it put the photos side by side so you could see your weight loss. Um, So I did that, Um, I had my son Jacob and then I decided to go back into audit so I joined BDO which is where Olivia was and I spent two years with BDO I think on and off um, because I had a maternity leave in the middle of that Uh, and I left BDO in March 2019 as a manager and then I've been working on Toco on a part-time basis Toco Swim being our swimwear business Um, and I've been working on that ever since Great. Thanks for that, Charlotte. Liv, um, I I know you've had a a similar career, but do you just want to fill in the blanks? Yeah, sure. So I also did accounting and finance at Exeter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I ended up doing an internship at BDO in my second year of uni and then joining after uni, uh, trained there and then kind of rose up to manager. So that's all I've ever really known. Um, We started Toco a couple of years ago now and I now kind of do four days a week at BDO, one day a week on my business, but I'm on maternity leave at the moment. Great. Okay, yeah, so you both did um, accounting and finance at Exeter. Um, what what led you to sort of choose that degree and, and how has that helped you going into the audit world and then later on running your own business? Uh I think for me, when I left school, I didn't actually really know what I wanted to do. I did maths, economics and French for A-level, kind of quite generic. Oh, Olivia also did. She's telling me she also did exactly the same thing. She obviously really looks up to me as the older sister. But I left I left school not really knowing what I wanted to do. Our dad was an accountant and it just kind of seemed like quite a good broad spectrum degree to do if you didn't really know what you wanted to do so it it has aspects of lots of different things that could probably apply to lots of different industries so I just thought I'd go for accounting and finance and it just so happened that I did a gap year program with PwC so they gave me some sponsorship through uni and then you get all of those exemptions from your professional exams once you actually leave uni so if you do end up going into accounting afterwards and qualifying it was a soup I would recommend it to anyone because you just have so much less work when you come to do your professional exams. Yeah and you mentioned the exemption Charlotte how many did you get doing that? I think when I sat the exams we had 15 exams and I think from memory, I've got seven or eight exemptions. Really? Yeah. Wow. 
yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah, because I think live at, at BDO, um, I think I had three, but I didn't do accounting and finance, I did management. But mm-hmm. I, I remember seeing somewhere, I don't know if it was at BDO, that even if you had an exemption, there were still some exams that they wanted you to do just to almost make sure that you did have the necessary skills. But maybe that was different at PwC. Yeah, I think we did have to sit accounting. Yeah, I did the very first module. Mm, I had to do that. I think I got four exemptions from memory, um, which was obviously extremely useful at the time, even if it wasn't as many as... Maybe maybe I'm just making that up. It was was eight or nine years ago, so I could be completely fabricating that. But I feel like it was... I, I, I do think it was around that. It was a ton of exemptions. Cool. And and Liv, what about you? Is it just following in the footsteps of the older sister or was it a bit more calculated than that? I mean, I wish I could give a more interesting answer, but it was basically following in the footsteps. I mean, I, was, I did the same A-levels. I'm not really sure why I ended up doing the same ones, but I was kind of from a mathsy background and I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do. I thought I probably wanted to go and get a training contract. So I knew the right thing to do was accounting and finance because it would give me those exemptions. Um, And you can do a load of different modules. It's not just, you know, people might think it's just accounting and it's so boring, it's number crunching. But I did a couple of law modules, um, like other kind of business management modules. So it was more interesting than perhaps it sounds. Yeah, and I I did some law modules at uni as well and absolutely loved them. And I think I did three modules at uni in law and that got me an exemption from the law exam in the ACA as well. So like you say, it is varied. And I guess with a degree like that, you know that you can take it into the business world and you will have learned something of use. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Okay, so you you both, sounds like, Charlotte, did you do some sort of... um, internship as well at PwC but you both did some sort of work experience before setting out into your training contract so how did that help and sort of firm up your decision to go into audit? Um, Yeah so I did a six-week internship at BDO which I actually really enjoyed it was it was just a great kind of taster of what was to come it was really social and I think I think the main thing I took from it was meeting all of the people at BDO and realizing that actually everyone was so normal and I got on with them really well we got a little bit of client focus as well so I got sent out to a couple of clients and I just thought it was really exciting at the time so it I mean the main thing it helped me to do was to know that BDO was kind of the right place for me yeah and and Charlotte did you do one as well or yeah so I did I don't think they actually do it anymore but I I left school when I was 17 because I was moved up a year when I was younger, not because I'm some sort of child prodigy, but it just (laughs) happened at the time. So I wasn't actually allowed to start uni until I had turned 18. So they automatically deferred my entry. And I did what PwC used to do, which was like a gap year scheme. So I worked for seven months with them, kind of, I guess, as like a hybrid first year grad but I was just really young and you get some audit experience across different departments so I moved across like public sector and I think media or something like that from memory and then they give you like a small sponsorship throughout university and it was really good because like I said like Olivia said it, it does give you a real vibe for the type of people that work for the company and a lot of people think like oh it's accounting it's so boring it's going to be full of really boring people but what I found especially when I joined the grad scheme after leaving uni is it's kind of an extension of university Mm. you're surrounded by loads of people who are all the similar age to you you're socializing all the time you're split between work and college and it's just a really nice transition into the the work environment and I guess my internship kind of or gap year whatever gave me um comfort that it would be something that I'd enjoy when I was there yeah no that sounds like a great scheme um but like you say not sure if I've not heard of anything like that recently so maybe Mm -hmm. they, they don't do that anymore but yeah so I think I guess it sounds like the key thing that you got from those things were the fact that you knew it was a culturally the right fit for you um I guess Charlotte you probably got a bit more experience on the actual work front than 
Liv did in her six weeks. Would that be fair to say, Liv? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I did go out to clients, but I, I basically just shadowed people, I suppose, for the six weeks, as opposed to got kind of down down and dirty doing any real audit work. Um, but, you know, I, I loved it. I would recommend it to anyone thinking of doing an internship. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so you both came out of uni then with your internships uh, under your belt and, yeah, decided to stick at PwC and BDO. Um, how did you, I mean, you're still there, Lib, aren't you? So how, how have you found it and how has it changed throughout? What what were the, I guess we'll start at the beginning. So mm. how, how was the ACA coming from an accountancy and finance degree and what were the challenges there? Um, I mean, it definitely helped that accountancy and finance degree because the exams, I mean, they were difficult, but I understood double entry from the beginning. There were a lot of people who had come from other degrees like history or English, and they were literally being taught debits and credits. So I definitely benefited in that aspect. Um, And then, I mean, I've been there, I think before I started maternity leave, I'd been there for about six years. So it's changed a lot over my time. The team has grown massively, and I've kind of got a lot more responsibility as I've gone up to manager level but I would say the first three years of doing the ACA was just it was just fun you know you mix college with with work and you don't really have a huge amount of responsibility yet because you're not qualified so yeah I really enjoyed it It, it's become more challenging as as time has gone on but there are kind of other things to enjoy from working higher up as well yeah so yeah would you say that then Although you are going to college and doing the exams alongside work, are you sort mm. of saying that um, because you weren't too senior as you were doing most of the exams, you didn't feel that pressure from the work side, which meant that you could focus on the exams? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. Um, and, and did you find it similar, Charlotte, from your side? Yeah, it was the same for me. I mean, people did kind of... It, it was just the expected norm that all of the grads, they had their periods of time where they had college and people didn't really tend to get in touch with us that much. And we mm-hmm. weren't given huge pieces of work that would ever be totally reliant on us. Mm-hmm. So you, it, it was easy to focus on your exams when you needed to. Yeah, no, cool. And um, sure, I guess you've had that taste of big four and obviously sort of the top end of the mid-tier working at PwC and BDO. So what what were the differences, if any? I imagine probably your team was slightly larger or, or more specific at PwC. But yeah, can you just shed some light on that, please? Um, so when I was at PwC, I was in banking and capital markets. So I only really worked on one one big client throughout the year and then I had a small client as well and that stayed the same for my three years I had that same big client for my entire time um my team was really big that I worked in I say my team I didn't manage anyone (laughs) when I was at PwC because I was still a grad but the team just in London just for my part of the bank was about 30 people so I you're part of like a huge you're a cog in a wheel. Is that what the saying yeah, is? Yeah, I think that's um, Whereas at BDO, I definitely got a lot more experience across. Not only was I in a completely different sector because I was in tech and media, but I got a lot more experience across different clients. So you're meeting a lot more people. The teams are a lot smaller. Um, but then with that comes the challenges of juggling different clients, juggling different teams. And obviously I was more senior when I was at BDO. So it's difficult to compare directly. But in terms of the actual people, like it's very similar mm. type of people who are at, at both places. And you didn't, I didn't really feel a huge amount of difference between Big Four and, and BDO, to be honest. OK, now that's interesting to hear. And um, I guess from a, an hour's perspective, was there a difference there or...? Not not really, to be honest, no. I think probably because, I, I mean, each of them have their busy seasons. So my busy season was really intense at, at PwC. Um, even though it was just one client, it was very much a hard deadline and it had to get signed at midnight or whatever on the dot. 
Whereas at VDO, I probably worked the same amount of hours, but it was just spread across a lot of different clients. And because when I was at VDO, I also had a, a child and then two kids for my next busy season, I was having to also manage that with school pickup, nursery pickup, and I was having to work into the evening. So both of them, busy season is busy, no matter where yeah. you are. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. And yeah, just backtracking slightly there just to clarify for the listeners so um I remember when I started out I I had mates at, at the big four who like you say would be on one client for the whole of busy season probably doing one section like cash and just doing hundreds of bank accounts and and just doing the work around that whereas it was slightly different at BDO because the clients aren't as big so you do get a bit more exposure to different things earlier on I think um, I think it's fair to say, um, not yeah, that I've definitely. ever worked at the big four myself. That um, is definitely fair to say. Yeah. And how was your secondment to Hong Kong then? It was really good. I really enjoyed it. I, I absolutely loved living in Hong Kong. My husband was living in Hong Kong for two years prior to when I moved out. Um, so it was really exciting to be there. I, I did say, and I said this when I worked there, it did feel like two different companies operating under the same name a bit because um, it was just so different. The working cultures, they were very much about, a lot about FaceTime. When, when I was there, I think it's changed quite a lot now. There wasn't a huge amount of like after work socializing, but it was getting better as I was there a bit longer. But it was it was really, really good. I'd recommend a hundred percent an international secondment for anyone okay no good um and was it was it quite easy to organize or was it were there a lot of people going for the same thing or was it just that you put yourself forward and and it sort of got approved uh I kind of put myself forward and and it got approved but that was probably on I guess like compassionate grounds as well because everyone knew that my husband lived in Hong Kong so kind of like I said, I, I have the choice of moving to Hong Kong and not being with PwC or staying with PwC, which is what I wanted to do, and moving with PwC. And there were opportunities coming up. So they just agreed and it just happened quite quickly. Yeah, no, that's really good. And again, to the listeners, that's the beauty of working in an international firm. I, I did a secondment myself to Australia. So it does give you those opportunities that you might not get elsewhere. Um, so that's definitely something to consider if, if you would like to work internationally at some point. Um, so I guess then with your both of your audit backgrounds, what have you gained out of that that sort of served you well in going on to, to do your own things afterwards? Do you mean what to do to set up a business? Or... Yeah. yeah, sorry, to set up Toko. And I know Charlotte's had a couple of other ventures that mm. we'll touch on as well. Um, that's a good question. I mean, it's definitely helpful that we came from a financial background, I would say, particularly in the beginning. Um, just because when you're starting up a business, you need to really heavily monitor cash flow. Um, we took out a government loan at the beginning, so we had to go through an interview process to get there and do quite detailed kind of business plan, cash flow analysis. So that was helpful. Um, and then I guess the other thing that's helpful is that the cost, the, the client kind of interaction, I mean, at, at BDO, you've got a portfolio of clients, but with Toco, we, we've got a, a bunch of customers and it's just the importance of kind of client service has, has helped us build up quite strong relationships with a lot of our customers, which, then helps them come back and become repeat customers and helps us grow the business yeah um have you got anything to add to that charlotte or pretty much the same things uh yeah pretty much the same thing and i think also working in a professional environment for such a long time just gives you that almost preconditioned organization mm -hmm. so you just tend to be on top of things because you've been so used to having to be on top of things for most of your career so that helps a lot because there's lots of different things that you have to think about when you're running your own business. Yeah, and, and I would have thought as well, um, it's like yours where you need to buy things ahead of getting money in. Cash management and things like that must be absolutely critical. Yeah, ca cash management is critical. And we that's one thing that we do 
keep on top of. We might not keep on top of <laughs> the day-to-day <laughs> journal entries, but cash management is really important for us. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, look, before we get on to Toko, uh, sorry, really excited to hear about how, how that sort of set up and how you've grown it out. <laughs> Charlotte, can we just touch upon Healthy Selfie that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, so Healthy Selfie was probably um, my first venture into working for myself. So I set it up after I left PwC Hong Kong. I set it up with my husband and it was basically kind of an Instagram for health and fitness. So people used to take photos of their body throughout their fitness journey and the app would put the photos side by side with the date stamp and you could share the image, you could upload progress images, whatever. And um, it it was a free app to download, but we got into the Daily Mail with it. I can't remember how or why, oh, yeah. but we did. And it ended up getting like 25,000 downloads in its first 24 hours or something like that. So it wow. was suddenly really popular, but we didn't really have a way of monetizing it. And that's how Kaizen came about, which I'm not involved in anymore, but my husband still runs that business. Healthy Selfie kind of transformed into Kaizen because we could see that people were sharing their workouts and asking other people what workout were they doing. So Kaizen started off as a platform for personal trainers to distribute their, I guess, workout guides on an app. And then that then morphed further after I left that business um into basically a technology company that white labels out its technology to big social media influencers so they create an app that is called the charlotte lee app for example um and influencers use that technology but have their own app and then there's a profit share arrangement so it's kind of gone from healthy selfie which was free to kaizen which is now a a revenue generating business but I all, all I do in Kaizen now is hear about the day-to-day stresses I, I don't actually, <laughs> I don't actually work on on that business with Joe anymore but but yeah so that those that's healthy selfie in Kaizen. Cool now it's quite interesting to hear sort of fluidity behind them both as you sort of you set it up you, you see oh what can we do with this and you sort of just let it become what what is profitable if that makes sense is that quite an important mindset to have would you say yeah I think so I mean at the end of the day you want to be selling something that is making money because as much as if you're if you have an app for example that is free to download you have to have thousands and thousands and thousands of users to make it really valuable I think um so the journey was we just want to make some money out of it how can we make money out of it and yeah that's how it transformed great okay well look it'd be great to to get on to toko now then um but was there anything that you took away from those two ventures that sort of helped you in coming up with the idea or anything like that uh, not really, no. Olivia and I had always talked about setting up a business together. And because we have, um, I don't know if Olivia's told you before, but our mum is from the Caribbean. And we used to travel there. We were really lucky because we went there pretty much every school holiday up until we were about 16 or so. Mm-hmm. And there was so much amazing swimwear over there. You could go anywhere and get really, really nice, nice quality, nice colours, nice fit. And we just really struggled to find that in the UK. So we decided to just go on a whim and set something up ourselves that would fill that gap in the market in the UK where we couldn't buy it. Um, In terms of what I took from my two previous ventures to Topo, it was definitely stuff like talking to influencers, learning how to write a press release, learning how to contact journalists, things like that, that I kind of learned ad hoc through Healthy Selfie and Kaizen that we've definitely used in setting up Toco. Yeah, okay. Now, that, we'll, we'll sort of come back to that in a minute because I was definitely going to ask you about the sort of non-finance skills that you've had to develop mm-hmm. um, that you've touched upon there. But so, so I guess the idea came from then a gap in the market that you saw and you were like, "This, we, we love this stuff. Was it, we just sort of sat on the beach in the Caribbean 
um, and then it just came to you and, and it went from there. I mean, I was actually sat in London at Shah's flat one evening. I think I'd come from work and I just said, kind of like on a whim, I just was like, well, I would love to set up a bikini line. And then she kind of was like, well, let's do it. And it was never really serious at the start, but then we just started playing around with it, started doing some sketching and it took a really long time to actually set it up. I think we were in kind of an early stage sampling process pre-launch for about eight months or so before we actually went live. So it was a bit of a slow burner, but yeah, it's been pretty busy ever since. Yeah. So tell me through that eight months then, how, how, well, what are you doing? Is it just coming up with prototypes and, and finding suppliers and things like that? Yeah. I mean, the main, the main thing at the beginning was finding a manufacturer for us, which is honestly the hardest thing in the world. We went through so many, reached out to so many and um, it took a while, but we, we, we did eventually find one and then it was finding the right prototype and the sampling process, which took about three or four months in itself, sourcing the right fabric um, and then going to building a website. Um, Charlotte builds our website. So we do, we do as much as we can in-house without having to outsource and, and pay people to do it. So we kind of teach ourselves as we go along how to do stuff so we can basically keep it, it a lean, keep it a lean business. Yeah, no, I think that's really worth noting, actually, that there are a lot of things that you think you need to get an expert in to do it, but you can sort of, if you get your hands dirty and you're willing to learn and put in the time, you can do a lot of those things yourselves. I know it, it does take time and effort, but worth doing, especially from, from sort of a cash perspective. Um, but even with the manufacturers then, is uh, manufacturers, is that quite a risk in itself? Because I'm assuming you can't just say to 50 manufacturers, send us your best sample for free. I'm assuming you have to pay. Mm. So you have to decide which one before you've even seen any products. Kind of. I mean, we did we did do sampling with, I think, one other or two others prior to choosing our final one. So that was a sunk cost. Um, but yeah, that, that was just that's just how we learned to find the right one. And we did end up stumbling upon one that really worked for us. And we just built up a, a good relationship with the owner of that business quite early doors. And it's and we've cool. been we've been with the same factory ever since, which is very lucky, I think. Yeah, no, that that sounds like you made a good decision from the start then. Um so after that pre-sale phase then, what was the transition uh, to, to sort of taking the products to market and what came next? I imagine that was quite a hectic time. Yeah, so we started off with a really small collection. We actually we actually only stocked one style in our first year just to basically see if this was something that people were interested in at all. And then we landed a Daily Mail article quite early on, I think maybe a month after setting up the business. And that kind of um, kind of kickstarted the business, really. We got a, a huge amount of kind of followers and activity on the website from there. And it's, it's just built ever since. And since then, we've kind of done a handful of gifting to influencers and just organic growth and and some we've managed to get some press coverage as well and it's it's just helped us grow a, li a little bit each year obviously the the daily mail article would have been really helpful and um you said you focused on your social media following and influencers is there anything else you can do to sort of build your brand out I think the biggest thing for us has definitely been influencer placement. We got really lucky because we work with a couple really, really big influencers who have just absolutely loved our stuff since the beginning. So have always done stuff for us free of charge. And I would say a lot of our growth has been down mm -hmm. to that. So we got really lucky with that. And that wasn't through offering to pay them or anything. It was literally just through sending them a DM on Instagram them liking the stuff and because the quality of our stuff is genuinely really really nice and the fit is so nice people just influencers are happy to post in it because it does actually good um so that was that was the big that has been the biggest thing for us traditional press on the whole getting fashion coverage in in online magazines and stuff it's great for credibility and exposure 
but it doesn't convert into sales really at all. Um, what other stuff have we done in terms of growth? We had a look at doing a small amount of SEO uh, on our website. Yeah. How much impact that had, I don't really know because I did it myself after having <laughs> a meeting with a, with a friend of a friend who specialised in SEO who just gave us some tips. Um, other things... I think that's been pretty much it. Collaborating with other brands, getting involved in events, um, just keeping our name out there as much as possible is, is all stuff that keeps us on people's radars. Yeah, am, am I right in, in thinking or am I misremembering? You've done a couple of pop-ups in the past as well. Yeah, we've done two or three pop-ups yeah. now, um, which have it's, it's been good we don't we don't have a shop so it's quite good experience for us and we've collaborated with other brands in doing those pop-ups um which has helped us build relationships with them um but the, yeah the main thing is is e-commerce i don't think we have plans at the moment to open a shop or or anything like that pop-up is just quite a nice kind of week or two activity to do each summer yeah and it gives you that bit of interaction with the customers doesn't it Yes, um, I was going to say as well, like from your Instagram page, um, I think you, you don't sort of post much about yourself at all, but I think everyone knows who you are and a bit about you. Do you think having that personal element to the brand is important? Yeah, I think that's really important. I think it's quite nice to know who you're buying from um, and it's not it's not just a faceless company. I think quite a lot of our customers have really supported our journey from the very beginning um, and they've kind of spread the word about Toko to their friends and it's it's grown from there so I think I, yeah no I think that's it, it's definitely helpful for, for people to know a little bit about how we started the business and we probably should do a little bit more of that yeah because we do get people asking us all the time for advice on setting up businesses and what should be the first steps if you're looking to set up some sort of e-commerce brand and we do tend to get a lot more engagement with with our social media if we do post about ourselves because people have followed our journey literally since we launched our first collection and we have ongoing conversations with customers via email that date back to two or three years ago when we first started and I do think I I echo what Olivia says people like to buy people are moving more towards buying from independent brands where they actually feel like they they know the story behind the brand as opposed to just buying something off ASOS or or whatever mm. yeah no it, it's yeah that's sort of why I asked the question because I think personally if I was looking to buy swimwear um it would definitely be a preference to buy from someone like you guys where yeah, there is that sort of personal feel to it rather than just another online retailer. Um, so, yeah, no, that's that's good to know. Um, so moving on then, I, I think you said how finance was really helpful in um, sort of arranging the loans from the government and just making sure that, that the business is actually running in, in a sort of as a going concern. Um, but what, I know you touched on the press releases and contacting journalists and things like that, Charlotte, but were there any other things um, outside of finance that you've really had to learn and sort of had to hit the ground running with in order to make the business a success? So uh, outside of like marketing, there's been, so I, I've done the website myself for, we, we had our first website on WooCommerce, which is kind of like a make your own website type thing and our next one was on Shopify and that has been a huge learning curve but I would just recommend anyone that's setting up a business just to do it yourself because web development agencies charge you so much money to do stuff like this when it is actually they make it so straightforward Shopify especially make it so straightforward to create your own website that is really nice looks really nice you can learn small bits of coding here and there to tweak it, but you can buy templates so that it looks really pretty and professional. Um, so, so that's been a, a learning curve for me. And also stuff that you don't really think about like shipping and logistics. So 
speaking and liaising with freight forwarders to get fabric from China, which is where we source our fabric, to Eastern Europe, which is not a common travel route, <laughs> I can tell you, is like navigating a minefield. So that that's been two years two years now we've done that yeah and that's definitely been a learning curve because i didn't even know what a freight forwarder was before um <laughs> what other stuff is there well yeah can photo I just... shop yeah oh, yes, sorry, sorry no, go, go on charlotte and then i'll ask you at the end yes using so this year i've done quite a lot of work in the build-up with photoshop so just having to understand that software um other other websites like figma we use to create stories and create some of our social media content. So just learning our way around these new kind of things available to us um, and watching YouTube tutorials along the way, basically to, to get us through. Yeah, so just that willingness to sort of self-learn and, and adopt new technologies that are available to sort of enhance your, your marketing yeah. and other things. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, no, what I was gonna ask um, you both was, you touched upon the the sort of um freight there um in terms of predicting growth and then getting in the stock to to match your projected sales growth that must be quite hard to to plan for i know it's probably to an extent being scuppered by what's going on at the moment um just an example but with with the lead times versus sort of keeping customers happy is that quite challenging that is extremely challenging and it's something that we have yet to learn. I think I think every year so far um, we've sold out, which is amazing, but it's also extremely frustrating because our lead time is, is not particularly quick from our factory. So it's just then a case of sitting and waiting for more stock to come to us, which is, is loads of potential lost sales. So that is something that we're working on and we've tried, we, we have tried to get it better this year but obviously the whole situation is is going on at the moment um but that's that's something that we have yet to fully master yeah yeah and um how do you sort of deal with the customers when you are out of stock um because obviously you, you don't want to you don't want them to go elsewhere you want to sort of keep them happy but you can't really give them the product and mm. i guess if you've sold out and the lead times so long that the season's over it must be quite a challenge um again yeah it is really challenging i mean we typically we we have 10 different styles in our collection now and i think we had eight last year so there are always some styles that are more popular than others so it's not it's not like we'll be sold out of every single thing so they do still have the option to buy something but it might just not be their preference but we do find that people when the stock comes back in because there's been that kind of build up to it being out of stock and that they do end up buying it anyway, even if they have also gone elsewhere, just because they almost want to get their hands on it before it, it sells out again. Uh, yeah, it actually does work in our favor a bit because we don't ever order huge volumes of, of anything really. We have our most popular styles, which we order more in, but we never ordering thousands of one particular style. It means that people, when we launch a collection, they know that they've missed out in years before and they get FOMO. So they'll buy straight away. So <laughs> yeah. it kind of works in our favor as yeah. well, selling out of our most popular styles because people know when we restock or when we relaunch that style again in a different color, they have to buy it quickly because it does always sell out. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's good to hear. Um, so I guess we've, we've just sort of mentioned what's going on at the moment. How has that impacted you and how have you sort of overcome it and, and ensured that the business can continue? Um, it, it, it has impacted us, but I've actually been really surprised with how busy this year has been so far. I think we, we launched our new collection about how long ago, two months ago, under, just under six weeks yeah. ago, maybe. Um, and it has been really busy. I think we've benefited from the fact that the UK has been really, really sunny. Um, everyone's been locked inside, so they have been doing online shopping anyway. And then we've just had to try and get creative and we've worked with a couple of models and, and influencers and they've been doing kind of at-home shoots. So they've been creating amazing content for us just from 
just from their home. So we've still got stuff because typically we, we rely on customer content to kind of fuel our Instagram through summer, but we don't have as much of that because people obviously aren't going on holiday. Um, so yeah, we've, we've worked with models. We've been quite lucky. It's actually been, it's been a really busy year. We've, we've done some more styles this year that are a little bit more versatile. So it's not necessarily only swim. You can kind of wear it as, as daytime wear or, or evening wear as well. Some of the crops that we've done. So I think that's probably helped as well. I think also people's shopping sentiment has changed a bit because they know how many companies are struggling uh, during this pandemic and how many companies might possibly go under as a result of it. People are starting to look to more independent brands to shop with because they are trying to support that small startup community. I know from some of the other small um, businesses we've worked with before, because we've done collaborations with jewellery companies, hair accessories and stuff like that, they've all echoed that same message that they've seen a lot of customers choosing to come and shop with them because they know that they're so much more vulnerable to something like this with their business. Yeah, and that's really good just from the general population to actually have that reaction. So glad that that's sort of working in your favour. Um, I guess one final thing before we start to wrap up then, how have you both found managing working in audit alongside having your own business? Um, I've actually found it okay. I, I kind of keep them really separate from each other. I, I do four days a week in audit. So I do have, well, when I was pre-maternity leave, I did have that one day where I would just focus exclusively on TOCO and then it's kind of just a case of doing it ad hoc in the evenings, on the weekends, replying to customers kind of throughout the day, which only takes a few seconds. But I've, I've actually not found it too challenging yet. But I think one thing that massively helps is the fact that there's two of us behind it. So if, if I'm busy or if Shah is busy, there's always the other person who can kind of help out or respond to whatever needs to be responded to. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely uh, got to be helpful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it obviously shows a willingness to sort of succeed from your perspective if you're sort of working um, late into the evenings doing it and you, you've been willing to sort of drop down to four days a week in order to, to sort of make the business work. Mm. Um, all right, so, so what advice then would you two give to somebody who's looking to start their own business? I think for me... A lot, a lot of people I speak to who are looking to set up their own business are just like, I'm going to quit my job, I'm going to risk everything, and I'm just going to go for it because I'm so passionate about this idea that I'm willing to lose everything. My advice would be, don't quit your job. Keep your job until you're sure that this is something that is, is going to be something that can support you. Because I think as soon as you start really struggling, I mean, maybe I'm slightly different because I've got a lot of commitments. I mean, I have three children, so it's never really been an option to not have an income. But I think that as soon as you start struggling and you can't afford to pay for things because you've quit your job, which was very stable and secure, to do something that's your passion project, I think you'll probably end up falling out of love with it quite quickly. And you're just going to end up feeling a bit defeated, a bit deflated, and you'll end up going and looking for a job again. So my, my main advice would be don't quit your job before you actually start. You have enough hours in the day to manage it alongside your job. Yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> yeah. that's great advice, Charlotte, actually. Um, Liv, have you got anything different to, to add to that? Um, I think I would say utilise your resources and everyone around you because you'd be surprised how much advice you can get from from people that can help you out. Um, so similar to me kind of saying earlier that we self-taught quite a lot of our stuff, we also relied on loads of different people to help us set up in the beginning. And yeah, just meeting for coffees to get advice from people as and when has really helped us. Okay, no, that's really good. And I've touched on that in previous episodes as well, just using your network and flexing mm. that network. I think it's something that I've found valuable throughout and from conversations with others, it, it seems to be a recurring theme. So again, um, really helpful, Liv. So thanks for that. Um, and then finally then, 
three key attributes um, that have enabled you both to succeed so far in your careers? Maybe if we you could can give do... me. Have you Maybe... got three combined or three each? Maybe we can do one each and then we'll do one combined. <laughs> oh, love it. <laughs> okay, I'll love it. Let's do okay. that. Um, it's quite boring, but I think Shah did mention it earlier. Organization is is really, really important. But both with BDO, working in accountancy, and also with running a business, you need to be on top of everything. You can't let stuff slip. You need to know what is on the to-do list. You need to prioritize and just be super, super organized to make sure everything goes to plan. Yeah, really helpful. Um, yeah, organization, definitely something I can imagine is, is needed throughout um, an audit career. And uh, running your own business as well. Um, yeah, definitely thinking back, organisation was something essential in order. Yeah. Um, Charlotte, do you want to go for your one? I think for me, one would be confidence. So just trusting in yourself that you can actually do it. I mean, Olivia and I are not fashion designers, yet we've designed our own swimwear line. We are not web developers, but we have a website that we can sell stuff through. And we've also managed that alongside a job where we've both performed, I, I would say, well, based on feedback that we've got <laughs> before. Um, I'm going so to need to see that in writing. Confidence in your own ability that you can, you can do it and you may have a bit of imposter syndrome. I know I definitely do when we're speaking to influence and stuff about gifting and when we're trying to style a photo shoot, I definitely have imposter syndrome. But if you just act as if you know what you're doing then it often turns out for the best yeah when you said confidence the first thing that sprung to my mind was imposter syndrome as well and I think nearly everyone suffers from it at some point just with the if you're a success yourself you then surround yourself with other impressive people and sometimes it's hard to not feel a bit out of your depth but I, I like I like what you're saying there yeah just act confidently and you're, you're in that room for a reason aren't you so just back yourself yeah exactly and then a combined one um oh it's tricky i think i think just be nice to people yeah i was gonna say that be kind yeah like it gets you far it gets you far even sometimes the manufacturers that we work with, I could honestly <laughs> strangle him through our WhatsApp chat, but just always put a smiley face emoji at the end of your message. <laughs> always put an exclamation mark in your emails. And, you know, people tend to be a lot nicer to you. Yeah. And, and it just it just helps things get done more quickly and everything works better. Yeah, I agree. And that's the same with audit as well and, and your clients sometimes... I mean, you know, Danny, that they can be really, really difficult to deal with. But if you just smile and, and grin and kind of you're nice to them, it always ends up easier at the end of the day and you end up having a better relationship at the end of it. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great one. And it sort of links back into that point you made, live about um, utilising your resources. If you're not nice to everyone, you're not going to have any resources left to utilise, are you? So Yeah, very um, true the nicer you are to everyone the more options you have and people to call upon so so yeah that's really good and then yeah just last thing then um future aspirations for toko i mean i want it to be one of the biggest <laughs> swimwear companies i would say in the northern hemisphere yeah, yeah. i'd agree with that yeah and is, like that eventually... is it achievable well definitely because we're both confident yeah i <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i think like aim big and you know we're we're going in the right direction we, we have a really really great core customer base that come back every single year i think our repeat customer is customers is around 40 percent, which yeah. is huge and we just need to grow that year on year and eventually we'll start diversifying into into maybe different things like resort wear but that is way off into the future we just need to nail our core product first and and make it kind of the go-to brand for luxury swimwear in the uk to start with at yeah. least yeah great well yeah i hope that's how it uh, how it plays out for you 
Um, Thank look, you. Thanks both for for being a guest on the on the podcast. Um, I think it's been really good and, and really helpful for people looking to start their own business um, and, and wondering what the right foundations for that are. Um, so yeah, really appreciate it. And it's been great to have you. So thanks very much. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. 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 So that was Live in Charlotte. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode and I think they had a lot of interesting things to share, particularly around the challenges of running your own business and there was a lot of insights that you might not otherwise consider without hearing it from someone that's sort of been there and faced those challenges themselves. Um, So in terms of advice for people looking to start their own business, Charlotte said, look, don't risk everything. She thinks that you'd quite quickly lose your passion at the point when you're struggling to pay the bills and that it is possible to to use all the hours in the day to make sure that you make the business a success on top of your day job. Liv's advice was to utilise resources. There's a lot of people out there in your network that will be able to help you and give you things that you need um, in order to, to move your business forward and take the next steps. In terms of the three key attributes that they've um, noted as what's given them the success that they've had to date, Liv mentioned organisation. I think in audit that's absolutely essential and something that you do need and obviously running your own business if you're not organized it's going to be a non-starter. Charlotte mentioned confidence and um, you hear a lot about the imposter syndrome um, these days so yeah important to overcome the challenges of the imposter syndrome and just act confidently and there is a reason that you're in that room you're a success yourself and just believe that and then finally and they both said be kind, be nice, um, and then that ties nicely back into the networking point. If you're nice to everyone you meet, people will be a lot happier to help you down the line. So yeah, those are the three things, organisation, confidence, and be kind to people. Hope you enjoyed listening, and as always, subscribe and comment if you do. Thanks.